1: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm Steven Siegel, and I'm your host here on New Books in History. And today we'll be talking with Chet Van Duser, who is the author of a new book. His book is called Martin Waldseemuller's Carta Marina of 1516, Study and Transcription of the Long Legends. This book is published by Springer, and it is an open-access book uh, published in 2020. So a little bit about Chet Van Duzer. He is a researcher-in-residence currently at the John Carter Brown Library and a board member of the Lazarus Project at the University of Rochester, uh, which brings multispectral imaging to cultural institutions around the world. Chet is a historian of cartography and has published extensively on medieval and Renaissance maps. His most recent books include The Work for a King, Pierre de Sellier's Map of 1550, published in 2015 by the British Library, and Henricus Martellus's World Map at Yale. This is a map from 1491, multispectral imaging sources and influence, and this was also published in 2018 by Springer. He recently completed a David Rumsey Research Fellowship at Stanford University and the John Carter Brown Library at at my alma mater, Brown University, studying Urbano Monte's Manuscript World Map of 1587. His current project is a book about cartographic cartouches. So uh, Chet Van Duser, welcome to our podcast today.
0: Well, thank you very much, Stephen, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: It's really a joy to talk to a fellow historian of of cartography, and I hope uh, we don't get too esoteric, um, but the maps that you have researched and and the Waldseemuller map that you just wrote your book about are are absolutely fascinating to me. I'll just start with a general question about how you came to be interested in in this specific map and and what your book is about, and, and maybe what prompted you personally to start studying the history of cartography?
0: Well, I'll I'll take your second question first, which is what prompted me to study the history of cartography. It was actually a very specific moment. Uh, I was in the Vatican museums in Rome, uh, purely as a tourist, and they had on display a 15th century manuscript of Ptolemy's geography. And uh, there had been added to that manuscript in about 1530, a world map Uh, And that map has a very interesting hypothetical southern continent. It has a very interesting shape. It's a ring of land around the South Pole with open water at the pole. And it also has a large number of place names on it, even though it is declared twice to be terra incognita. So that that moment in 1997 uh, sparked my interest in the history of cartography. And um uh, the, the focus of a lot of my work has been uh the 15th and 16th centuries um uh, and as to what sparked my interest in the Carter Marina, uh well it was at least in part its uh, acquisition by the library of congress through a uh, generous donation by the J I Kislack foundation uh who acquired the map uh from a prince in Germany and then donated it to the, the Library of Congress. And uh, as you know, the, the map is, is very large and detailed. It's printed on 12 sheets and has many, many, many descriptive texts on it. And this project struck me as a way to, to make the map available to scholars in a way that it simply hadn't been before. Uh, first by transcribing the Latin texts on the map, second by translating them into English, and third by uh, determining their sources as far as possible. So, uh, Really my goal with the project was to, to open a window into the cartographer's workshop, into Martin Waldseemuller's workshop to see how he went about making the map.
1: So let's start with Martin Waldseemuller himself. The book is about his cartographic thinking. What, how would you describe his, his thinking about cartography and his assembly of, of sources? I think in the book, you, you do a wonderful job giving readers almost an inventory of his brain, a library of his mind. So what, what is his cartographic thinking exactly at the start of the 16th century?
0: Well, I think the best way to get at that question is to compare the Carta Marina, which Waldseemuller made in 1516, with his 1507 map, uh, which is of a very similar format uh, and size. That is to say, it's printed on 12 sheets like the Carta Marina. And it's it's the more famous of Waldseemuller's two large world maps. Uh, because it's largely because it's the first to apply the name America to the new world. And the two are on permanent display um, side by side in the Library of Congress. And uh, that, that exhibition is definitely worth a visit if one's in Washington. But what's remarkable to me is is how large the change is between these two world maps made by the same cartographer that are so similar in size and format in the course of just nine years. So the earlier map is uh, largely based on Ptolemy's geography uh, by way of a a world map by Enrigus Martellus. Uh, and, And in an earlier work, I showed that Vollsmiller b- borrowed a lot of material from uh, Martellus's world map, but anyway, uh, in the 1507 map, Vollsmiller proclaims his debt to uh, to Ptolemy in various ways, not just with through the title of the map, but also through an image of Ptolemy at the top of the map, and uh, he also, for example, shows all 360 degrees of the Earth's longitude. Even though in 1507 that was something very bold to do, it preceded the European discovery of the Pacific, for example. And also the, the 1507 map uh, it has very few illustrations on it. Uh, there's an image of a parrot in South America, a ship off the coast of South America. There's an image of the city of Kinsai in China, but very few images. And it's remarkable how different the Carta Marina is made again by the same man just nine years later. So it's it's no longer based on Ptolemy. So he's completely rejected uh, the primary cartographic inspiration of his earlier world map. The Carta Marina is based on nautical charts, which were, uh, in essence, practical tools for navigation at sea. And in the early 16th century, Ptolemy's geographic data was about 1,200 years old. And the information available in contemporary nautical charts was far more accurate. And Waldseemuller recognized that. And so he changed the whole cartographic model that he used for his world map, which is, again, a remarkable change in the course of nine years. So he rejected Ptolemy as an authority Uh, And he used, instead of the the grid of latitude and longitude uh, that Ptolemy had used, he used the system of rum lines, typical of nautical charts. He also changed his mind about the discovery of America. When he made his 1507 map, he was very uh, focused on the priority of Amerigo Vespucci. Um, and he came to realize that it was actually Columbus who was the first uh, European discoverer of the New World, and he makes that change clear in his 1516 map. Uh, so, in the 1507 map, he he calls the New World America. He he actually abandons that name in the Carta Marina, and then finally, uh, the the Carta Marina is just vastly richer in terms of illustrations and in terms of uh, in terms of Baltimore's library of thought, to use your phrase, uh, he did extensive research, uh, for the Carta Marina, uh, not only for descriptive texts to use on the map, but also illustrations. Uh, and although there are descriptive texts on his 1507 map, uh, he uses very, very few of the same descriptive texts, almost none on his Carta Marina that he'd used on his 1507 map. So we get the a picture of a cartographer willing to set aside all his previous work in the interest of generating a new, more detailed, more modern image of the world in his Carta Marina.
1: I think that's a pretty extraordinary story if you think about it. During such a short amount of time, from fifteen o seven to fifteen sixteen, to have an individual scholar of of Waldseemüller's depth and breadth, in, in some ways, change his mind. Uh, I, I like I like how you describe his his boldness. Um, in some ways, I, I think if we're trapped in the in the modern or postmodern world, um, scholars write about the same topic for their entire careers they in many ways reproduce the same articles for 30 and 40 years so i I think it's an extraordinary feat uh this almost like a copernican revolution the shift um from from ancient to modern and i think i i want to ask a little bit more about that because your your book is actually Amazing, I think, in its source analysis. Can you can you tell us about some of the antecedents and and the sources that you've found, including the the nautical charts that I think go all the way back to the late thirteenth century? How, how did you, how did you trace those and, and and with all of the languages that you know and, and use in the book? Uh,
0: well, that that was. Uh... Tracing the sources was one of uh, my main undertakings with this project. And Volzemiller, very generously has uh, a large uh, text block, a cartouche on the map, where he lists many of his sources. Uh, but no one had gone through and tried to determine which sources were he used for which texts on the map. Uh, so uh, I, I had that aid, if you will, from Waldseemuller himself, uh, that, that list of sources. Um, but <clears throat> ha- having that list, it, it certainly makes the job of tracing the sources of individual descriptive texts easier, uh, but it was still a job. And uh, it turns out that Waldseemuller does not list all of his sources um, right. in, that, right. in, that, in that cartouche. Um, and so trying, trying to find, uh, there, there are, I think two or three texts on the map whose sources I still don't know. I can't figure out despite very extensive searching, I still can't figure out where he got, uh, those, um, those texts and, but there were, well, I should say that one thing in the, in the course of the project, I came, to, uh, I came to realize that it was just as important to look at the source of Müller's images as his texts. But it really didn't make sense to do one without the other. And uh, for example, in, in South America, uh, we have the earliest surviving European representation of an opossum. And... Waldseemuller certainly copied it from somewhere, uh, but that source does not survive. And that's to be expected. Uh, Over the course of time, uh, manuscripts and and printed books uh, are lost. And so it's it's not surprising that we don't know the source that Waldseemuller copied his image of the opossum from. And it's not surprising that there are some texts on the map whose sources well. Maybe the maybe his sources survive, but I just couldn't find them. But it's also possible that the the sources no longer survive.
1: Yeah, I, I and I want to come back and ask you a lot of questions about the opossum and the walruses and the cartouches and monsters and such, because I think um, you are the right person to ask about that, ha- having written about uh, sea monsters and, and medieval and modern maps. I, I'm actually, uh, in reading the book, Stunned by the diversity of um, the textual sources. I, I know that you're paying a lot of attention to the sources that he left out, but even the ones that he arranges in chronological order. It's a very colorful cast of characters um, in, including Marco Marco Polo of course the Venetian traveler but you know there are papal there are papal legates for example, there are Italian missionaries and and diplomats who end up in the Middle East and India there are French cardinals who are really like uh, cosmographers who influence Christopher Columbus. Um, there are Venetian merchants and navigators and Jewish merchants and so on. So I, I guess, really, how how do you weigh the travel narratives? I would ask the textual sources against those things which are more visual, as you mentioned, like like the like the famed opossum.
0: Weigh weigh in what sense?
1: Well, let's say how. I mean, how do you know? how visual Waldseemuller was compared to how how textual he is because this is it seems like a very extensive inventory and and a lot of those travel narratives go back to the to the 12th and 13th centuries so where where do you place the 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 priority is it is it visual or is it textual how how do you balance that out
0: uh that, that's a a good and and challenging question um I'm I'm trying to think of of spots on the map where uh, where he shows preference for something visual over something textual or vice versa, uh, and I'm I'm not coming up with anything. Um, but it's perhaps worth saying that that there are, there are plenty of descriptive texts on his 1507 map. Uh, whereas, as I said, there are very few illustrations. So it, it seems that over time, uh, he he took a greater interest in uh, in, in illustrating his maps, his, his world maps. And another feature of the Carta Marina that plays into that, that I didn't mention earlier, is that while the 1507 map shows all 360 degrees of the Earth's circumference, and goes runs all the way to the North Pole. And that is not the case on his Carta Marina. Uh, the the Carta Marina does not show all 360 degrees of the Earth's circumference and does not run all the way to the North Pole. And so, it's showing less of the Earth's surface. And, and, and at the same time, it's the same size basically as the 1507 map, which means that it's showing a zoomed in. Uh, if you will, image of the world, which entails that Miller had more space for 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 each given region of the world, he had more space to work with, which means that there was more room for illustrations.
1: Right. And I don't know;
0: it's hard to 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 have any confidence uh, trying to answer the question of which came first. Was it that he wanted to show uh, less of the earth's surface to have more room for illustrations because he. He'd come to realize that that was an important way to not only convey information, but also make a map attractive, or was it that he decided uh, to to make his new map of a different character, which is to say, to emphasize the parts of the world about which things were known, to make it a more uh, practical rather than theoretical map. And that that was what allowed him the extra space to include illustrations.
1: Is it possible, judging from the comparison between fifteen oh seven and, and fifteen sixteen, to figure out his interest in world politics? Are you a, are you able through the breaking down the images of sovereigns and sovereign states um, to to discern what would be called maybe today geopolitics i I know this is this is very anachronistic to project it backwards, but what, what what was he concerned with what did he what were his interests in world politics
0: um i I would think it's it's fair to say that he his interests were placed rather in world religion uh rather than politics so we to my recollection we we don't get any uh sense of uh an interest in in intra-european political rivalries for example Uh, but he does show a great interest in the religions of the world and the boundaries between uh the different religions so uh, he uses little crescents to indicate areas that are controlled by muslims and little crosses to indicate areas that are controlled by christians when when there's a question about it particularly in asia so he doesn't he doesn't bother with the crosses in Europe, for example, but in Asia he does use those symbols to uh, distinguish uh, regions that are under the control of of uh, of Islam and, and Christianity. And he very uh, frequently, uh, in, in his uh, descriptive texts, uh, talks about the religion of the inhabitants of a particular region and he also makes remarks about their political structure Um, but uh, it it doesn't seem it seems to be they they seem to be remarks more of an ethnographic nature than uh, than considering uh what relation their political structure might have to to europe uh for example
1: right and would you say that the animals you mentioned the op- opossum, and I, I think you do a, a great job tracing the image, especially after Waldseemüller. So in, into into Munster and into Mercator. What what are some of the symbolic meanings, or, or let's say iconographic meanings, of, of elephants and walruses and sea monsters and, and opossums? How do you see that in Waldseemüller and, and beyond Waldseemüller?
0: Um, if due to, I, I think the case where the symbol symbolism is is the clearest and most important uh, is is precisely in uh, the realm of sea monsters, um, and this I think also uh, addresses in part your question about geopolitics. Actually, um, so on his his earlier map, the fifteen oh seven map. He doesn't have images of sea monsters, but he does have some texts about sea monsters in the Indian Ocean. And uh, they, as it happens, the, the texts come from, uh, well, they, they come from Enrique Martellus' world map, but were taken by Martellus from uh, this book called the Hortus Sanitatis, which is sort of a, a compendium of information about uh, animals and, and monsters and also uh, precious stones. And most of the sources of that book are uh, medieval, and so the the texts on the 1507 map say the, the the sort of thing about sea monsters that that we would expect from a medieval source, um, which is to say that the the sea is depicted as a relatively hostile element. Uh, there there are the texts make it clear that there are dangerous creatures lurking beneath the waves.
1: I can, I can definitely see that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the, the case is very different on his Carter Marina. Um, There's the image of the walrus uh, in Scandinavia, which strangely uh, looks like an elephant. And thus uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's explicitly identified as a walrus and yet it looks like an elephant. And, um, it's interesting to speculate about the, the source of that mistake. Uh, but the only sea monster depicted in the sea uh, <clears throat> is off the southern tip of Africa. And it it's this, a wonderful image of King Manuel of Portugal riding a sea monster. And this is a symbolic uh, representation of Portugal's control of the sea route, from portugal south around the tip of africa to asia so that's that's the function of that image so portugal has mastered that sea route Um, but i I think we can go further in interpreting the image um, and see among the many changes from voltiler's 1507 map to his carta marina uh, a remarkable shift even in Baltimore's conception of the ocean. Uh, so on the, the 1507 map, as I said, the, the, the texts indicate that the ocean is a, a place of danger filled with hostile creatures. Whereas what we see on the Carta is this powerful image of a human controlling a sea monster. And, and that is used to express human domination of the ocean is in the sense that the ocean has gone from being a place of danger to a, a venue for the conduct of trade, uh, across which, uh, humans can evidently cross with some confidence, uh, rather than being terrified <clears throat> by sea monsters, which seems to be the suggestion of the 1507 map, uh that this is an element that that humans can control for their own purposes. So again, a remarkable change uh, between the two maps and and indicated very succinctly by this powerful image.
1: Could you talk a little bit about his attention to religion some more? I know you have a lot of wonderful secondary sources about cosmography and ethnography, you know, I mean, there's there's the work of Marshall Poe, which focuses on Muscovy and descriptions of Muscovy. Um, there's also Stephanie Leitch, I think, who who has a book about ethnography in in early modern Germany. So uh, how I mean, how do these cosmographic and ethnographic descriptions work when it's when it comes to describing, say? Uh, trading centers in India or uh, the image of, of Medina um, or Islamic architecture. Do, do you see those things present in the Waldseemuller's cartographic thinking?
0: Well, uh, as I said, he, he definitely had a strong interest in religion. Um, his, his uh, description of uh, of Mecca is is borrowed from the German traveler Varthema, for example. Um, you mentioned the spice trade, um, and one of the, the there's, there's no, I don't, I'm not recalling any religious uh, element to his discourse about the spice trade, but it, it perhaps is worth saying a, a few words about that uh, part of the map which is one of the longest texts on the map. Uh, it's in the lower right-hand corner. And it's an amazing list of the prices and sources of spices available in Calicut, India. Mm. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> And it raises very interesting questions about the intended audience uh, of the map. Uh, so it, it doesn't seem, uh, although it is, Proclaimed by its title to be a nautical chart. It doesn't seem that the map was really intended to be taken aboard ship And used for navigation uh, And so what is if if the information about the prices of spices was not something that was supposed to guide one uh, Through negotiations being in Calicut um, What was the, the intended audience for that information? um and the only thing I can think of is that Waldseemuller thought that that information would give context uh, to the prices of spices available at, at markets in Europe. Uh, that that he, I suppose he thought that it would be interesting for viewers of the map uh, to to be able to make that comparison and appreciate the markups that that took place. Uh, in the transport of the spices uh, to Europe,
1: do you see the shift toward nautical charts? You mentioned rum lines, for example and and his attention to what I would call hydrography as a, as an abandonment of of Ptolemy because there there is longitude and latitude after all if you if you go back to Ptolemy, but how how is he modernizing this practice i guess would be my my real question because you know he he is wanting the nautical charts to be more of a kind of grid system right
0: uh <clears throat> yes so so the chart is is a bit of a hybrid so it doesn't have a complete grid of latitude and longitude the way that his 1507 map does um what what it does have is uh, the equator and the tropics, and along the equator there are some indications of longitude, a few, but not in a systematic way. Um. So, and and I think, to some extent, it's very intellectually honest of him not to include that grid, uh, mm. n- not not to pretend to precision. Uh, that he knew his his data couldn't support. Um, That's
1: interesting. So you you would describe it not as a, a weakness of his scholarship, but as a sort of moment of humility. I
0: I, I would. I, I I he just he knew uh, that the the maps he were he was using as as sources were not based on uh, on on determinations of longitude in the new world for example it should be we should mention though that there are some sections of the map where uh, a a grid has been imposed by the map's earliest owner so for example on in parts of south america we can see a a carefully a careful grid of red lines um, and These were laid down by Johann Schoner, uh, the, the humanist and geographer and cartographer, who owned uh, the only surviving copies of the 1507 and 1516 map that have come down to us. And Schoner, well, I, I should say that wall maps in general do not survive well. So right. 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 The, the intention was that the twelve sheets would be basically pasted to the wall. Uh, and then one remodels years later, uh, and the map goes away. But but Johann Schoner explicitly preserved uh, these maps uh, for posterity. Uh, he had he had the sheets of the maps tipped into uh, a book so that they would be preserved for posterity. And in as part of his own cartographic projects. Uh, Schöner made a globe uh, in 1515 that was based on Baltimore's 1515 1507 map. And he also made a globe in 1520 that was based on Valtimeter's Carta Marina. And I believe, I, I think it's difficult to doubt that this grid system that we see uh, on parts, this red grid system we see on parts of the Carta Marina were placed there uh, by Johann Schöner Precisely so that he could transfer cartographic information from the Carta Marina to his globe. Mm. And so we, this is not, what's not happening here is a pretense that there is this great precision uh, that that, that Valtzimodo's depiction of the New World is, in fact, based on uh, observations of longitude. It's just uh a tool for transferring the information from the map to a globe.
1: Yeah, I, I have to say, as a historian of cartography, I'm I'm many times struck by the arrogance of graphic designers and I would say newspapers, where you will read on the Washington in the Washington Post or the New York Times or the Guardian things like, "This is the one map you will need to describe." X, Y, and Z, and I think if you look back at the 16th century, um, you know I remember as a graduate student reading Bob Caro's work about map maker, map makers and their maps, and, and looking at Ortelius and and Honjus, There, there is this moment of deep skepticism where a cartographer will say, "I actually I, I don't know this, or I I don't have the sources." Um, and, and I think for, res- for researchers, this will really be my next question. It it, re- it requires so much deep source analysis and, and scrutiny. So, for you, I, I, I have to ask because you know all of these languages, and and you've read, you know, people like Leo Bagrov, his his work on the carta marina, of of freeze. How how do you begin discriminating? as well as taking that deep skepticism into account? It, it, it's more of a philosophical question because I, I would imagine that you you have looked at more 16th century maps than probably anyone in the world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've, I have spent a, a fair uh, bit of time doing that, but, but discriminating between what? What, what, uh, what do you mean?
1: Well, uh, discriminating between... Um, let's say the, the people who are doing um, research in the, in the 20th century on a lot of these Car- Carta Marina maps, and then those who, you know, like uh, Honjus would be my example. He has this wall map from the end of the 16th century, or Mercator's famous 1569 map. You know, it it is a kind of idea of progress. What what we know now from what we know then. It's the it's the old quarrel between the ancients and the moderns, or maybe between the moderns and the postmoderns. So, how how do you? I mean, how do you take the skepticism of the of the 16th century map makers into account? Their their errors and and what they know and what they don't.
0: Mm. Uh well it's it's a very engaging question. The 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 this the, 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 the skepticism and credulity credulity of, of early cartographers and, and the Italian cartographer uh Fra Mauro um, uh can can be very skeptical uh about his sources. So rather than just electing not to Use a particular source. He engages with it and says that he doesn't believe uh, this this account. Voltemuler um, uh, was certainly very selective in in using his sources, and that's another aspect of the map that we can uh, access by comparing the two maps: uh, the fifteen oh seven and fifteen sixteen. Uh, for example. Uh, so that the 1507 map is is largely based on Ptolemy, uh, but Ptolemy did not know Eastern Asia, and so for Eastern Asia, Baltimore relied on uh, Enricus Martellus's world map, and Martellus relied on Marco Polo, uh, so which was one of the best sources about East Asia available when uh, Martellus was making his map. So there's a lot of Marco Polo on the 1507 map in East Asia. There is very little, uh, Marco Polo in East Asia on the Carta Marina. Uh, there's just really a handful or maybe two handful of, of descriptive texts that, uh, rely on Marco Polo. And why is that? Why did, uh, why did Volta abandon all this information that he already had at hand that he could so easily have used in his Carta Marina based on Marco Polo. And the simple answer was, is that he had more recent sources and, and sources that he considered more reliable. Um, And that was one of the exciting things uh, about tracing the sources of his descriptive texts is that that's the only way to get at how he was making use of his sources is by tracing the source of of each of the texts and seeing and, and looking at cases where, well, for information about this part of the coast, he could have chosen from this author or this author or this author. In fact, he chose from this one. And then one has the opportunity to think about what might have been the basis of that choice. And one thing that becomes clear uh, in, in making that analysis uh, was his reliance on the Italian traveler, uh, Ludovico Varthema. Uh, and it's, um, one can imagine uh, that his uh, choice of Varthema so frequently uh, was precisely because uh, Varthema's narrative was so recent. Uh, that th- this was the latest information available. And it also, I'm sure it also uh, was important that, that Vartheim is a very careful observer. Um, but I really think that the recentness of Vartheim's narrative uh, was a very important factor in Valtimer's choice uh, to use his work whenever he could. And another aspect of that is that an addition of Vartheim's work uh, was published with illustrations in 1515. So one year before uh, Waldseemuller's Carderino was printed. And Miller borrowed a number of illustrations from that edition of Varthema. And I think that bespeaks uh, an interest again in, in using the most recent sources available.
1: Yeah, and and I, I would say in providing the images, as you've done in this open access book, Chet, um, you've, you've really um, helped us as researchers along where we can consider the images juxtaposed next to each other and maybe from there determine which sources were available to someone like Muller and, and which weren't. So uh, to, to me, as a Russian historian, I, I'm I'm really impressed by how you took, a, took apart, let's say the details of the Carta Marina, where there are these descriptions of, of Russia or, or descriptions of Novgorod, for example, Moscow. Um, and I wondered if I might ask a little bit about that. So, um, you know, you do trace um, sources back to the, to the 15th and 16th centuries, is there, is there any kind of revelation that you found in working on this book about what Muller could and could not use or what sources maybe that others had thought he was using, which you, upon further careful scrutiny, determined could, could not have been possible?
0: Uh, yes, well, I, I'll begin by saying that uh, Russia is is definitely one of the most challenging, uh, parts of the map. Uh, and I, I, I I don't have all the answers, uh, to the sources with regard to the sources he was using. Um, it's another part of the map where he, he, he clearly had access to something, uh, that either has not survived or, uh, I have not been able to identify uh so leo bagro in his work on the carta marina um indicated that um many of the, the toponyms suggest that the data was supplied from a series of itineraries to moscow of travel narratives going to moscow um but he for some reason didn't look at the descriptive texts um uh, which which I think was a, a bit of a lost opportunity. Um, and I, I also want to say that in, in looking at Russia, I had uh, considerable help uh, from my colleague and friend, Leonid Chekin, uh, who is uh, an expert in in Russian cartography and Russian textual sources.
1: Well, what wonderful scholar, really. A wonderful scholar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So, in in doing your work on on northern Asia, let's not just call it Russia, but um, in northern Asia or northeastern Asia, um, could you could you tell our listeners about some of the borders and border lines that that you see in comparing the 1507 and 1516 maps? So, um, you know, I worked in in Moscow when I did my research with Alexei Postnikov, and I, I remember. You know, he had told me all of these wonderful stories about the, the Pamir and the work um, on, on sort of delineating frontiers between Russia and India, thinking about the Tatar Empire. Um, do you see from, from studying the Carta Marina so closely at the, at the Library of Congress, um, particular things about uh, this, say, North, Northeast Asian or Northern Asian realm? that that others had missed
0: i'm uh, i'm trying to pull up a, an image of the whole map here yeah uh, just give me one second in
1: all of, in all of the 12 forms so i, I mean you know the, the the tatar empire is so is so interesting because w- when we're talking about this period um, there are plenty of legends from the travelers accounts for for tataria um, from from people like herberstein so what 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 did you find, let's say, in uh, in doing research on on that part of the map and looking into looking into Asia?
0: Yes, well, uh, it, as you say, the Waldseemuller was very conscious of the borders in that uh, region of the world, and particularly in 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 laying out in delineating uh, the borders of Tartaria. Uh, which is something that he 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 did not do on his 1507 map. He he didn't show uh, that same uh, close interest in uh, in determining those borders and in marking them as as clearly as he does on his 1516 map. And let me zoom in here. I now have the image. So he uses again this system of crosses and crescents. Mm-hmm. Uh, to delineate those, uh, to delineate, to separate uh, Tartaria uh, from regions further to the west. And he's quite consistent with that system uh, in Asia. And I wanted to look at one other border. So the, the, the borders are there, uh, but they don't always leap out at us. Uh, and it's partly because uh, there is this system of of rum lines uh, that that appear in bodies of water. So there are these l- lines crisscrossing bodies of water, uh, and then we also have these border lines in the land, and and somehow the the, the presence of the rum lines I think uh, makes us uh, not necessarily focus on uh, the, the the borders as as much as we should, um, but. I'm looking for one particular border I wanted to talk about uh, where the the distinction uh, between, here it is. Um, He, there's, there's a case where the depiction of the monstrous races where the 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 border plays uh, an important role, there are actually two depictions of the with the the um, here we go, the uh, dog-headed men, and so there's an, it, India was was famous for being the the home of well many wonders and and also of the so-called Plinian monstrous races and rather unusually, despite that long tradition of uh, associating India with these monstrous races. uh, I couldn't come up with an example of another map where the monstrous races are sort of programmatically depicted in in India the way that Waldseemuller does. But he actually has two depictions of uh, Kuno Kefali. Uh, There's one in northern India, where two dog-headed men are talking with each other. And then there's another one, strangely, not not all that far away, uh, in the east. And it turns out that he has two depictions of uh, the Kunu Kefli, because he was using two different sources uh, for these uh, two depictions. And uh, the the one... Uh, depiction of the Kunu Kefli talking with each other comes from Pierre Dailly, uh, the French uh, theologian and, and geographer. And the, the other comes from an account of a battle uh, that the Tartars had with dog-headed men. Um, and uh, and the they were unable to conquer the dog-headed men. And so the, the dog-headed men are depicted In this case just inside uh, just uh, just outside of tartaria i should say just inside this border that separates india from tartaria um so it's an interesting case uh revealing case not only in terms of uh use of sources but also his attention to that border uh between tartaria and, and india and and doing everything doing everything in his power uh, to place that border correctly, even even extending down to the location of of you know basically fantastic monstrous races.
1: Yeah, and and I, I actually like um, the fact that you're again focusing on his his placement of of kings, for example, like mythical kings and um, the trading centers. He's obviously very concerned with um, trading centers throughout uh, throughout India and, and, you know, sort of like along the Western Indian ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's a, a really important clue, uh, that you find to his, his cartographical thinking in, in a broader sense. Um, and, and you know, I, because you talk so much, not just about Russia, but about, uh, the other sections of Western Africa, for example, um, I would imagine that you're able to find a, a sort of basic ethnographical pattern right where he he's actually zeroing in on something in in one region and then there's a kind of copy in another. am, am I right about that
0: uh, well he he certainly did uh, I, th- I think it's worth saying a few words about his interest in trade um, uh, and i think I think that the the map does show a strong interest in trade, and I think that's to be seen in relation uh, with the map's relatively pragmatic uh, orientation, let's say, in, in contrast with the 1507 map, which is, is more theoretical. So again, in the Carta Marina, he only shows the the parts of the world that were known in some convincing way. and And there is this interest in uh in the, the parts of the world that can be reached and and the parts of the world where trade is conducted and that that image again of king manuel riding the sea monster speaks to to both of those things um so so there is a strong interest in trade there's there's a constant reference to where uh spices and precious stones uh can be obtained there's the the long list of uh, spices in the lower right hand corner, um, and but but as far as uh, finding similar things in different parts of the map, were you referring to uh, the images of sovereigns, for example, or?
1: Yeah, I I think there are a lot of kings, for example, who don't exist, <laughs> right? Um, yes. So that that's something that I see involved similar.
0: Yes. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of anachronisms uh, and at, at least, I mean, I, I think we need to be uh, uh, a little kind in that he was he was working with the sources that were available to him. And uh, that, you know, if if, if the, the source text was written 300 years ago and he didn't have anything else, he would uh, he he might mention that king. Uh, as if that King were, were still in power. Um, right. Right. Yeah. I, so- I, I,
1: I like, I mean, I like the fact that you are fair to him in context in the, in the early 16th century. I think it, it would be easy to be very judgmental as, as I am in my world stuck between the 1870s and the 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, y- you know, we all, I guess we all have, have our, our have our zeitgeist to describe. Um, I want to turn turn in my last question to what you're working on now. And and maybe if you could say a few words as a historian of cartography about the importance of of open sources and and, and open open source writing.
0: Yes, well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll. I'll again take the, the second question first. So the book is available in open access and it is 100% through the generosity of the, the J.I. Kislack Foundation uh, in Florida. And my my debt to the Kislack Foundation is, is very extensive uh, in this and other work. Um, so my research uh, for this work was uh, supported by... A, a Kislak uh, fellowship at the Library of Congress um and of course it was it was Mr Kislack who bought the Carter Marina and and donated it to the Library of Congress so it was only th- there through his generosity then i had the fellowship from the Kislack foundation and then as the the book was approaching publication Uh, the, the Kislak foundation, uh, made funds available, uh, again, very generously to make the book available open access. And I was such a, a generous gesture on their part. And, uh, again, my, my goal with the book was to make the map available, uh, to both the scholars and the general public in a way that it just hadn't been before. So now all the descriptive texts on the map are, uh, are totally available uh, with remarks about their sources, even if one doesn't know Latin. But by making the book available in open access, the Kissek Foundation has gone a huge step further in making the the map available to everyone in just such a wonderful way. And I should say that in addition to the, the PDF of the book, there are also some online supplementary Materials specifically high-resolution images, both of the whole map and all of the sheets of the map. So that uh, my my hope is that together, uh, the book itself and the online supplementary materials, uh, and the fact that they're all of it freely available, uh, will really open up this map uh, for for use in in many different ways, including ways that I would haven't thought of and and wouldn't think of, which is is where the the wonderful richness comes in.
1: I'm Stephen Siegel, and we've been speaking with Chet Van Duser on New Books in Geography, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Chet is the author of Martin Waldseemuller's Carta Marina of 1516, Study and Transcription of the Long Legends. The book is published by Springer, open access in 2020. Thank you, Chet, for joining us today.
0: Thank you very much, Stephen.